recently. I want to um, invite our um, speaker up this morning. So his, uh, everyone say, hi, Travis Dixon. So a few months ago, um, when uh, some of our elders rolled off, we had the opportunity to nominate and pray with and kind of um, interview um, some potential elder candidates. One of those uh, is Cameron Gandy sitting out there. The other is behind me up on the platform, Travis Dixon. And I tell you what, I'm so glad that their family has been a part of our church and they've been a, a great blessing here. If you haven't got a chance to know them yet, you're going to want to get to know these people. Great family. Uh, I teach the girls piano lessons. Smart kids. Uh, w- great family. And so a few weeks ago when um, Jessica Gandy was sharing her story, and if you were here for that, um, it was a great day, and she was sharing a little bit of her, her past, her journey through anger and forgiveness, Travis came to me. He's like, you know what? It's time. I've had a story that I need to share as well. So I invite you to listen to uh, Travis Dixon's message this morning and share a little bit of his heart. Good morning. That one got you. So as he said, you know, this started actually about uh, two weeks ago or so after Jessica given her her story and her testimony about things that were going on in her life. Uh, I had gone to bed that night and God just put up my heart. He said, you got to share. You got to tell the story. And this is what I want you to say. You got to share. You got to, you know, it's just over and over and over in my head. And finally, about three o'clock in the morning, I said, okay, God, I got it. Let me sleep. I got to go to the work in the morning. (laughs) So then I, you know, I talked to Josh and uh, he said, yeah, this is a good story. You should share that. So this is actually two stories I want to share with you today. Um, The first story, if you'll put up the slide, is about um, this little girl. Now, these two stories are related. It's going to take a little while to, to, to get there. There's some little bits of ups and downs, and it might be a little of a rabbit chase to, to show you how they're related, but I want to start with this little girl. This is my oldest daughter, Grace. Everyone say, ooh, ah. She's a beautiful, beautiful little girl, and we are so blessed to, to have Grace with us today. Um, so this starts back. Um, Jenny and I had been married for about three and a half years or so, and then we finally decided we should try this be fruitful and multiply thing. And it took us a while to get there. Um, it, it was several months of trying and months of trying and months of trying. And after about six months or so, you know, Jenny starts getting depressed because there's, there's no baby. There's no baby there yet. There's no baby. Next month, there's no baby. There's no baby. Thanks, Landon. So the next month, um, you know, one month finally, there was two, two stripes on the stick, and we just celebrated. We were so excited that, you know, we were going to have a little baby. And that's about when Jenny came to me and she said, you know what, this baby thing is really cool, um, but I want a little girl. I said, I don't know what to do with little boys. Uh, They're rowdy and rambunctious. I don't know how to deal with them. I don't want to deal with them. I want a baby girl. And she said, if Hannah can pray for Samuel to have a little boy to dedicate to God, I can pray for a little girl. And so she went to Joyce Wheeler, who at the time was one of the greatest prayer warriors in our church that we were going to, and she got all of the women in the church to start praying that she would have a little girl. She did that to me twice. So now we have Hannah and Grace, and I'm so thankful that we have both our little girls. Uh, So nine months go by, and we have this beautiful baby little girl, and uh, when she came, my heart just burst. I was so overwhelmed with joy and love for this little girl, I cried. I cried for five minutes. I couldn't even talk to my wife to tell her how much I love her. I was just holding this little baby and shaking uncontrollably. And I wouldn't give her away either. She was mine. (laughs) 
Um, Grace, on the other hand, she was not happy about being born. She was a very colicky baby. Uh, she, she screamed for about the first seven months. At the little hospital we were at, um, the nurses would come, and, and you could give the baby to the nurse, and they would take the nurse's station. They would watch your baby while they answered the phone, pat the baby on the back, put the baby back there, all the ooh and ah over the baby. Um, one particular night, we gave the nurses or, you know, grace, and uh, she was screaming so much, they brought her back. <laughs> I said, no, you deal with this. I'll stay over here. <laughs> so... Um, Anyway, she was a very colicky baby. We had, uh, Jenny had problems nursing. Jenny had, um, you know, it, it was difficult in, in trying to take care of this child who constantly threw up, who was constantly crying and upset. Um, we, we did all the right things that we were supposed to do as parents. We went to the doctor's office. We went for a weekly checkup and then the monthly and the two months. And while you're going through those, if you haven't had a baby, they start tracking every little thing the baby does for progress. They track how much the baby weighs, how much has the baby eaten, how long the baby is, how, you know, they, they track head measurements and things like that to make sure that the baby is growing the way the grow, baby is supposed to grow. Uh, one of the things that you will notice on this picture, though, if you look kind of there on her, on her right temple, you'll notice a little bit of a bulge. And that kind of concerned the, the pediatrician as we were going along because they would measure the baby's head. And the baby's head, you know, Grace's head just wasn't growing at the same rate as the rest of her. So at the four-month checkup, we go, we go to checkup, and she says, uh, you know, we, we, I don't want to alarm you, which is always a great thing to hear. We don't want to alarm you, but we think that we really should, really should have an x-ray and make sure that everything's okay. I said, okay, fine, we'll go to an x-ray. So uh, a couple days later, we show up, Children's Hospital, OU Children's Hospital, and we're there for an x-ray. And we waited, and we waited, and we waited, which is also something you don't want to do when you're anticipating bad news. And finally, Jenny gets a call, and she says, you know, I've got bad news for you. X-rays came back, and we believe that uh, she has craniosynostosis. So you, I'll explain a little bit about what it is. So for an adult, uh, adult skull, it has 26 bones. It's totally fused, grown together, has 26 bones in the skull. A baby, when they were born, they have about 44 bony plates and, and, and bones in their skull, and that makes it just a little bit easier to make it out the birth canal. I say a little bit easier, because if I said it was easy, the moms out there would kill me. <laughs> but it makes it a little bit easier for the baby to be born. Uh, in this particular case, um, what was happening is um, the x-ray showed and confirmed that on one of the side, the coronal suture on that side, uh, was starting to uh, uh, fuse prematurely, which is a really bad thing to happen for a little baby, because as the baby grows, the brain still grows, and if there's no room for it to grow, just kind of fills up all available space. And it can cause deformities, it can cause um, mental problems later, a lot of health issues. And the only way to correct it is surgically. Surgically, they have to go in, cut that open, and perform this barbaric operation on a child so that they can grow up and have uh, a normal life. So the other thing about this is a very rushed time because they want this done before they're six months old. Because at six months old, it becomes even a bigger issue larger surgery, larger recovery time, and things like that. So a very stressful time that we now have this perfect baby girl that we, our hearts have just poured out with so much, and, and we have to deal with this. So um, the doctor, Dr. Brewer, she had called and made an arrangement with a specialist at the OU Children's Medical Center. There's only one in the state, so he's very busy. So before we could go see him, 
he required that we have a CT scan so that we could plan out surgery. It's like, awesome. Not really. So um, 10 days later is when it was supposed to be scheduled. Very stressful time. We're, you know, we're just confused parents as we're going along. Jenny's still having problems with the baby, nursing, and struggling to uh, just deal with the situation and, and nurse and take care of Grace. Um, the, the really bad part about the whole situation was they had told Jenny uh, the night before the day of the surgery, you, you can't feed your baby for like 12 hours before the procedure. And, you know, like Mama Bear just about busted out and thrashed someone over that one. <laughs> so um, we go on and that night before, Jenny waits till the absolute very, very last possible minute that she has before she can nurse Grace. And my job at night after nursing was to take Grace and walk around the house and pat her on the back for hours and hours and hours until we both just collapsed exhausted. So night before I was holding Grace, she actually went to sleep relatively early for her. It was only about a half hour of screaming. So I, I, took, I took her back to the nursery and um, I sat down in the rocking chair and I broke. I mean, I literally just, I broke for my little girl. I held her in my arms and I prayed to God. I pleaded, sang praises. You know, God is so good. God is so good. God is so good. He's so good to me. And I pleaded with God. I said, God, don't let this happen to my baby. Don't let this happen to my baby girl. Three hours I prayed and I cried and I sang songs. Help my baby grow. Next morning, you know, we go, we, we get up and we go down to the children's hospital and uh, we get there a little bit early. Grace is cranky and she's tired and she's hungry because she hasn't been fed. Jenny's, you know, upset because she can't feed her baby. And we go in there and we found out, oh yeah, we can't feed your baby because we actually have to put your baby out. We have to give her some medicine to knock her out so she doesn't move through the CT scan. And we went, it's been nice to tell us, we just thought you were being mean. So, <laughs> Jenny's holding the baby and uh, they give her the medicine and she just, she absolutely just goes limp. I mean, absolutely just limp in every way that you can imagine. They take Grace from us, they wrap her up really tight in a blanket and they take her away. Like, what are you doing with my baby? Bring my baby back. Anyways, they, bring, they finally come back, and they get Jenny and I, and we go into to the room where they're going to do the CT scan, and they take my baby, and they lay her in a little tray. Right? And the only thing I can think about is, you know, they're putting my baby in a coffin. Why are they doing this to my baby? They go through the procedure, get us back. Finally, they, they bring... They bring uh, Bring Grace back to us. At the end, we have to wait till she comes through. And Jenny and I, we go out to the car and we're done. We sit in the hot August sun, both just completely, absolutely emotionally drained. And Jenny finally gets to nurse her baby. So we go home. 
And it is an, an incredibly long couple day wait while we're waiting for the radiologist report to find out what's going on with our baby. Doctor finally called and she said, I have some great news. And we said, awesome, what is it? And the thing about it is, the radiologist report, I saved, but I've, I, I've since lost it. But I saved it. And the cool thing about it is not what it said, but what it didn't say. It did not say, um, yeah, there's really nothing wrong. Your baby will kind of grow out of it. What it had said was, there is absolutely no indication of a prefusion of the frontal coronal uh, fissure and that in all other respects, your baby's skull is grossly unremarkable. So let me translate what that really says. Grossly unremarkable. What that says is God not only showed up and made it a little bit, but God showed up and fixed it. I mean, my God still works miracles. My God today, even today, can do miracles. Second story I have is somewhat related. Um, it's about it's a story that most of you know. It's about the Israelites. Um, it's about Moses. You know, he he gets up, sees a burning bush, goes to Moses. Got the ten plagues, uh, flies, gnats, blood, all that other things. He goes up to Pharaoh, let my people go. And after a while, you know the the you know God causes the the hearts of the Egyptians to harden towards the the Israelites so much that they just want them out. And so they give them all their gold and things like that. And so you have 600,000 uh, 600, Israelites at the time, they're leaving. And they're wondering where they're going to go. They don't know what to do. So God sends them a pillar of a cloud. Hey, go follow that cloud over there. It's 600,000 people, miles long. They all have to see the pillar of a cloud. So it's got to be 30, 40, 50, 60 feet tall. At night, they don't know what to do. So God sends them a pillar of fire. Follow the big flaming thing up in the sky. I'll lead you where you need to go. They get up to the sea, and uh, that's about the time that you know, Pharaoh starts missing his people. And so he sends his chariot, 6,000 chariots, off after the Israelites, and the Israelites start seeing him coming. They say, hey, God, God, you, you didn't have to send us out here in the desert to die. They had graves back, back in Egypt. We could have died back there. That's a quote. Um, so God says, hey, you know what? Uh, that's fine. So he puts up this wall of fire between the Israelites and the Egyptians, and he says, there's light on one side, on the Israelite side, darkness on the Egyptian side, and said, I'll still take care of you. Don't worry. Don't worry about it. I got this. Don't worry. Moses gets up. He parts the Red Sea. The Israelites, they all trudge through on dry ground, and they, when uh, he lifts the, the wall, the, the, I don't know why, because if I was in Pharaoh's army, I wouldn't go out after him, but they go on through the, the sea, God closes up the sea, and the sea swallows them up. After a while later, you know, they're partying up in the desert and things like that, and Moses decides to have a one-on-one -on -one with God. He goes up to the top of the mountain. The Israelites look up, and there's thunderbolts and lightning. It's very, very frightening to me. And they do notice that Moses is gone for a while. They don't know what's happened. They know that they've been delivered, um, but they don't really know why. They don't know who. And so they say, hey, you know what we need? We need to celebrate a God. I don't know what happened to Moses. So we're going to take all the gold that the Egyptians gave us and we're going to make us this golden calf. And, uh, you know, obviously that didn't go over so well with God. They, they, they do make it through that. And then, you know, as they're going through the, gov uh, through the desert, they start grumbling, they're unhappy. Um, said, hey God, you know what was really cool about Egypt? You know what they had there that we don't have now? Food. <laughs> you know what we have here in the desert? Sand. We miss, the, we miss the leeks, we miss the melons, the cucumbers, all that wonderful stuff we had. And, and God says, really, people? 
Come on. So he says, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to send you bread. Every morning when you wake up, there's going to be enough bread on the ground. Pick it up for yourselves and your family for the day. Don't store it overnight. It'll go bad, but store it for the day. Sixth day, pick up two days worth because seventh we want to rest. And so they do that. And that, that works okay for a while. Um, they're taking a look and they're finding out that uh, this man is pretty good, but after a while, people get tired of eating the same thing and they say, God, you're going to be really awesome. Sandwiches. We got bread. We need meat. God, can you give us meat? And so God says, really? You want meat? I tell you what. You want meat so bad, I will give you so much meat, so much meat that it starts coming out your nose, starts coming out your ears, starts coming out your mouth. You will be so sick of meat, you will never want to eat meat again. So they wake up the next morning, and God had sent quail. He had sent so much quail that it covered the entire camp, and for three feet all the way around the camp were covered in quail. Uh, that's a lot of quail, 600,000 people in a camp all the way around. Think about it. That's a lot of quail. You know, and when I, when I read the story of the Israelites, I, I think to myself, you know, if I was there, I don't think I'd doubt God so much. I, you know, I, I wouldn't, you know, I mean, come on. I, I can just see God going, hey, people, did, didn't, don't, didn't you see? Didn't you see when I sent the plagues and, and got you out of Egypt? Didn't you see when the people gave you all their gold? Didn't you see, you know, when you were lost and wandering, I sent you a pillar of a cloud to follow? Didn't you see that at night I was still with you and I sent you a cloud of fire, a flaming fire up in the sky? Didn't you see that? Didn't you see that when you were scared that the Pharaoh was going to come and conquer you, that I protected you with a wall so that they couldn't penetrate and come get you? Didn't you see when you were walking through on dry ground and waving at the fish and the wall of water as you went by, I was still with you? Didn't you see that when you turned around and Pharaoh was coming and he was dog paddling because I had closed up the water on top of him and all the people had drowned? Didn't you see? Didn't you taste the manna? Wasn't that good? Didn't you see when you asked for... for um, for meat that I provided you quail? Didn't you see that? Didn't you taste that? Weren't you there? And I, and I start looking at my own life, and I start thinking about uh, just going on in the day, and I start relying more and more and more on my own capabilities and, and the things that I do, and, and life starts happening, and things start getting tough and hard. And I think, hey, God, you're with me? You're still there? You're still there? You know, and at that time I had one of those, those you know, uh, speck in your neighbor's eye, log in your own eye type event, and, and I can just see God going, hey, Travis, Travis, didn't you see? When you wanted a baby girl, I gave you a baby girl. When, when your wife outprayed you not once but twice for a girl, you got two. When your baby was sick, when your baby needed healing, and I opened up her, her bones so that she wouldn't have to have surgery, do you remember that part? I was there too. And I just think, yeah, God, I'm sorry. You're right. You're right, God. I didn't mean to doubt. Church, you know, we're at this point now, church, where I don't want to be a church that doubts God. I don't want to be a church moving forward today in the things that we are doing, moving forward into a new place to reach more people for God, but we doubt Him. I don't want God to, take a, to, to look at us and say, hey, guys, guys, don't you remember? Don't you remember like when this church was about to close and I, I raised up brave, strong men like Tony Owens who stood up and said, no, 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 this ain't right. We're not closing the church like this. We're not doing that. We're moving forward. Don't you remember when, when I raised up elders like Preston and Jay and Richard 
who have enough strength and wisdom and heart to, to lead 10,000 people. Don't you remember that part? Don't you remember when I, when I took Josh from a worship minister and I, and, and I empowered him and gave him the wisdom and the words to be your full-time pastor, to lead a congregation for the plans that I have for him? Don't you remember that? Don't you remember? People, we, we just cannot afford in, in this time going forward to be a church that insults God by doubting what he's going to do for us in the future because we forgot what he's done for us in the past. Say that again. So we cannot afford, we cannot afford to be a a church that insults God by doubting what he's going to do in the future because we forgot what he's done in the past. I'm going to stand and pray with me. God, I just want to ask, and beg that you will be with this church, that you will give us strength, that you'll give us strength to believe, that you'll give us strength to have faith when things get tough, that you'll give us strength to have faith when things are easy. God, I don't know exactly how things are going to work in the next few months, but I know it's in your plan. I know that you're going to bless this church. You're going to bless it so much that in a few years we're going to have the same problem again, but we don't know where we're going to be because we can't fill the place that we're at. God, work your power through this church. Show us your love. Show us your mercy. And God, help us never, never to doubt what you've done for us and what you're going to do. In Christ's name, amen.